What's happening, everybody? <clears throat> Happy Sunday. Let's drop this down. Hope everybody's doing good. This is Slow News Day Live and, and also slash a going to show up on AM Wake Up Tomorrow interview. Uh, my name's Steve Boykin, and you guys know that. I'm really stoked you guys are here, and I'm really stoked that this conversation is taking place. Uh, we only have them for about 50 minutes, and that's usually... Uh, about the length of time that it takes to say hello and get going. So let's do that. Um, everybody, James Corbett, you guys know him. Uh, <laughs> how's it going? It's very good to finally get you on the show. I've been watching you for a very long time, and uh, and we have a lot of friends in common. So Right. Well, we well pleasure to be here. Um, now let me spend 50 minutes saying hello. Uh, yeah, let's do that. Uh <laughs> The, in the last, I don't know, 48 hours, 72 hours, the the world has gone from merely silly or cartoonish or clownish to now there's people running around with their hair on fire because their banks are mm. uh, doing what banks do again. Mm. Mm. And people are surprised by that. Signature Bank just closed about an hour ago. Uh, this News is, to me. Yeah. Um, the Silicon Valley Bank, you know... Um, Went through their little mishap, I guess. And Peter Thiel, uh, a our our you know our good friend, he managed to yank a bunch of money out the day before. Yeah, yeah. So, surprise, surprise. Uh, <laughs> Peter, is that the same Peter Thiel who's invested in Rumble? Yeah, interesting. That's that's correct. That's correct. Yeah. yeah. Uh, anyway, uh, yeah, crazy. It's, isn't it? and Rumble, it, when I've said this real quick, but Rumble is the the home of you know the Peter Thiel verse. It's where they they've kind of taken up root, and what's yeah. wherever the intellectual dark web went. That's one of their homes now. Um, but go ahead, continue. Yeah, no, exactly right. Um, so yeah, uh, it, I, for people who don't know, I do a flashback series now, where every weekend I'm posting up stuff from my archives because. I have thousands and thousands of hours in the archives and a lot of it's still relevant to today. And literally just a couple of weeks ago, I was going to be posting up a flashback on uh, an interview that I did with Ellen Brown back in the day. She's the author of Web of Debt. And uh, we did an interview about uh, bank, bank bail-ins um, back in 2015, 2014, something like that. And I was going to post that up as a flashback because I don't know if you saw recently, the there was some um, meeting footage of an FDIC meeting, uh, or it was a type of, uh, I, I can't remember which committee it was, but some committee that was meeting about the FDIC and about the possibility of banking collapse and, and the way it should be talked about with the public. Some of that footage got put out there. And so people were talking about the whole bank bail-in idea. So I was going to put that out as a flashback, but then uh, what was it? CNN ran their amazing expose of the Terrence Yankee murder 27 years after it happened. So I decided I'll, I'll flash back to that instead. And then, of course, Silicon Valley Bank goes bust and everyone's talking about bank bail-ins now. So I missed my chance to look like a prophet. But Man. at any rate, well, it's certainly in the in the zeitgeist right now, isn't it? And, I mean, we were talking about just a, a week or so ago on the morning show uh, that, <clears throat> that there was starting to uh, be a resurgence in defaults on auto loans. And this is something that got rolled into the rebranded collateralized debt obligations, which a lot of people have pointed to as one of the catalysts for the 2008 collapse. Yeah. And there, so there was that. There's this now. I, I guess my question would be, uh, 
do you is this something that's going to kick off a further financial meltdown? I've got a couple of friends in um, the financial world who were talking about a real estate housing market bubble burst mm -hmm. by midsummer. Mm. And this would kind of track with that. What are you, where, well, where are you? I, it's absolutely possible. I absolutely would not rule it out. However, I have learned, uh, if I've learned anything in the 16 years of doing this, it's a bit of humility as to regards, as regards to uh, being able to predict things like this and the way that they will turn out. I remember back in the 2008 financial crisis and watching that go down and watching the incredible unprecedented bailouts and the types of money that was being sloshed around at that time and thinking, this is it. This is certainly the the collapse of the economy as we've known it. They're they're going to usher in the new economic world order, and everything's going to change. Well, you know, a lot of things did change, but not quite in that dramatic fashion, and not in in your face. And I remember talking at that time to Bob Chapman, the uh, the deceased editor of the International Forecaster, who at that time I remember saying to him, you know, how long do you think they've got? How long can they possibly kick the can down the road? Six months, a year? And he was like, no, I think they can keep it going for probably a decade or more. They they have a lot of ammo um, stored up for for this type of thing. It's it's more a question of how long they want to keep the the Ponzi scheme going, um, because that's essentially what this is. It's a gigantic Ponzi scheme that it, that works because the confidence men have tricked tricked us into believing that their paper promises have money. And as long as we believe that, the system will continue to function. So really, I mean, the real bottom line is there is a certain mathematical point at which the game cannot be continued. But until we reach that mathematical point, I think it's essentially about us and our awareness and our participation in their system. And when we withdraw our participation and our consent to the system, that's when it really collapses. And so we better be careful about that and be uh, and be aware of what that means and be preparing and structuring our lives for that, have our communities in place, have alternative trading systems set up so that when this phony baloney Ponzi scheme collapses, we're not gonna be caught under the weight of that. But at any rate, I think we're, we are really the central players in this. And that's something that the powers that shouldn't be desperately don't want us to ever think about is the amount of power that we have. And that's why they're always trying to propagandize us and always trying to get us to believe their lies is because our our thoughts really are important to the way that this system operates. Well, I, I've told people a handful of times on the show that it's our belief that, you know, determines how long these people stay in power, period. And there's a number, a number of us that have taken a whole bunch of strides over the years. You as much or more so than anyone in terms of informing people about things like parallel structures and a counter economy and the way that we can do that a number of different steps. We're bringing people on all the time to have different solutions or at least different aspects uh, in anti solutionary mindset in order to, you know, willingness to work with other people and collaborate. We had Gerald Salente on a couple of months ago, and uh, and he was like, look, there's just always going to be a bunch of people who need to be led. And, and there's going to be a number of us who see what's going on and we're trying to get our shit together and trying to to figure out, you know, how we're going to best manage this. And then there's the people in the middle. And as long as the people in the middle don't have an alternative, they don't have anything to compare to and go, oh, well, that's better. They're just going to stick with what they know. So in the yep. limited time that we have, this is something we talked about with Whitney when she popped in earlier in the week, too, uh, in terms of her couple of years before the Internet gets shut off and 
goes through sort of a magic evangelical rebirth process and comes back as whatever it comes back uh, to to get with the people who have figured it out and, and determine what our solutions are at least best in the moment, you know, as far as consensus goes and build towards that. That's exactly right. And that's kind of the big problem of all of this. It's the chicken and the egg question, because you're exactly right. Until there is some sort of viable, feasible alternative structure, you are definitely not going to get the masses to sign on board with, okay, let's collapse the system and go into something completely different. Of course, why would they? Why would they threaten everything that they know and that, uh, uh, all of this safety of the status quo? Why would they threaten that for, well, I, I, I'm telling you, it'll work if we all do this thing. No, no, no. They, people need to see results. And that's why I'm very excited by the people who are actually taking real steps in the real world to form their own communities, to form their own trading networks, to, to try to forge new ideas, to try to demonstrate, hey, no, this works. This is actually better. Um, and that's that's why I do the Solutions Watch series, which is trying to highlight those types of people and those types of ideas, because I'll take one of those people who are actually out there in the real world trying to forge something new over a million of the people on the internet with their arms folded going, eh, you know, and this isn't, eh, you're, it's all stupid. I, I, I don't, who cares about that? That's the peanut gallery stuff. No, the people who are out there, boots on the ground, trying to make stuff happen are the ones that are going to change the world if anyone does. Absolutely. And we have, I mean, and there's such, there's been so many significant steps. And in the, the, one of the best ways that lockdown backfired, I think, at least in terms of uh, the viewpoint uh, of the, the predator class is how a number of people went, Oh, it's all, it's all nonsense. It's all nonsense. There's, there's really no one here that's going to come and save me. Oh, this is crazy. I'm going to seek alternative solutions outside uh, of the allowable parameters of conversation. Independent media in positive and negative ways like, really took a hold of that and ran with it. Uh, but we have seen a lot of solution-oriented people step forward and make a huge dent in, in the effect that the predator class has been able to have over the last couple of years. Um, but boy, did they break some brains. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I, I'm sure you've seen it in your work. I, I know I have. Um, there, th this has obviously been a massive, massive wake-up call to a lot of people who were comfortable enough in their lives until this past few years of craziness, and now are starting to question everything. And with that, with that mass influx of people who are suddenly, uh, oh wait, I've lost all my moorings. Where am I? What, what's happening? You're going to get uh, as more and more people come in. See, as I was on the early rising tide of the con conspiracy cool culture um, back in you know the mid 2000s um, when it was still eh, still fairly fringe. Um, and it, in that space at that time, the people who were there were generally the types of people who were very questioning and were very uh, open-minded and, and all sorts of things. But now that you're starting to get masses of people coming into the independent media space and starting to question the reality, you're gonna get all the type of stratification of society from very smart, very aware, very interested people to people who can barely tie their own shoelace and everything else in between. God bless them all. But the point is you're gonna get a lot of different people um, that are going to be there and they're going to be approaching it 
from the same way that they would approach problems back in their old paradigm, they're going to be bringing that baggage into the new space. So you're going to get a lot of different things happening. That can be good and bad. But at any rate, as you say, it just brings more people. And with more people, there will be more ideas. And there will be more of those types of people who are just go-getters, who may have been not really concentrating on all this conspiracy stuff, whatever, eh, it doesn't affect me. But now that it affects them, now these are the types of people who are going to start constructing the types of things that we need. And as I say, I think that really is the biggest fear for the, the power establishment as it exists, is that the people start to realize you know, we don't need them. We don't need them to micromanage every aspect of our lives. Actually, we can create our own best, better systems. And once that ball gets rolling, it's game over for the controllers. And I, I, I'm not often feeling positive and optimistic given the types of things that I'm talking about. But when I take that step back and look at the bigger picture of things, the, the just the very nature of this process of decentralization of control and information, we win. We win 100% of the time when, when, when this type of explosion of information and exchange of ideas and people realizing that they don't need the controllers, when that happens, we win. The only question is, how, do the, how does the power establishment go down? And unfortunately, they've got their fingers on the trigger, metaphorically and literally, of every tool in the arsenal, every weapon at their disposal nuclear and otherwise. Um, so it could be extremely messy on the way down. And that's why I'm particularly concerned about war talk at this time, because I really do think that's that's always such a convenient tool for controllers for keeping people in line. And one that, uh, yes, of course, they've gone to that well several times over the decades um, since World War II, obviously, but not in the sense like, America itself is under attack. Oh my God, we are Canadians. Uh, you better take up arms. It, 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 yeah, they had the 9-11 sort of stuff, but no, but I mean like a full-on superpower, full-scale war becomes more uh, of a tempting option for these would-be world controllers as they start to lose their grip on control. I mean, you don't have to look any further than Nord Stream for that. When you really stop and think about it, not only was it an act of open war, it was an act of standard definition terrorism. It was an act of eco-terrorism by any measure, uh, you know, from the, the environmental warlords. It's, that's a disaster. That's more methane than cow farts. You could, it's insane. And, but there's no acknowledgement of it from the greenest administration ever. Yeah. There's tacit acknowledgement of the East Palestine disaster, at least in terms of dioxins, the, to say nothing of the fact that we don't have clean water in this country to save our lives anywhere anyway. I'm in Vegas right now. They've been, I want to go as a bit for the show, dead body fishing in Lake Mead. Just go out with a big magnet and see what barrels, you know, I can pull up. Mm -hmm. Because we're at that point, but that's the yeah. water that, you know, people ostensibly bathe in after treatment. Right. It it, it's not as if the government will tank their own backyard. No. You know, so no, exactly. as we move and to this. You know what? Actually, okay. let's, let's talk about Nord Stream for a second, because that really is. I mean, that should be the story. In some ways, maybe that should be the story of 2022 because it encapsulates so many different things. But as you point out, uh, it's not its not just that they sort of, oh yeah, and this incredible environmental and, and, and military 
event happened and blah, blah, blah. Let's move on. It's that they didn't even have any sort of propaganda backup to this. There was no way to spin this in any other way. They just said, oh, it's probably Russia for some reason, I guess. And then they moved on and expected that everyone would move on with them. I do not need Seymour Hirsch or his anonymous sources to tell me that this was America and its allies doing that. I already knew that. But at any rate, the the fact that they didn't even have a propaganda narrative around it, they just sort of eh, just blew it off. It speaks volumes about their their arrogance as to how much they think they have control over the information flow at this point. Is it the information flow or is it the financial system, at least in their opinion? Or and, and let's incorporate that the uh, the QR codes that people about you know, conservatively half the planet w- would be tied to having a uh, a vaccine identification, you know, a vaccine lot number on their card and all that kind of stuff that was plugged into one of Peter Thiel's systems, at least in most of the Five Eyes countries, he had that health data. So uh, there are a significant portion of the planet that's already tied to a QR code system and a digital ID. And we're moving towards that WHO digital health passport situation. So I guess my my question would be, is it, you know, um, like, is it really a setback at this point for them not getting everything they want necessarily out of you know, Nord Stream out of the Ukraine situation out of mm-hmm. because we we've kind of got it all. It's all swirling around the toilet bowl, as it were. Well, yeah, it, 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 that that is it, again. There are things that are happening at this point that would be monumental story of the year types of things in any other era. But in this era, it's kind of like, oh, yeah, and that happened. Yeah, I kind of remember that because the, the nature of the game certainly is changing. Um, but yeah, why separate out the financial control from the information control from the data control? It is all part of the same system. And uh, you obviously only need to look at what side the, the establishment media's bread is buttered on and where they who's paying their bills brought to you by Pfizer. I mean, it's all part of the same network of control. Um, so but the fact I, I mean, a the fact that we are speaking right now live uh, me here in Japan, you in Vegas and people listening everywhere around the world, that in and of itself speaks to the fact that, yeah, they can they can spend their billions, ultimately trillions of dollars trying to control this information and and control what people are thinking and talking about. But eh, no, we can we can defeat that pretty easily just by talking amongst ourselves, which is exactly why this type of conversation is, I think, the prime target for the the status quo power structure right now. And that's why they're starting to talk about, oh, well, now we're going to have AI algorithmic censorship of podcasts because podcasts are the the big misinformation space that we've been missing this whole time. Yeah, we got the YouTube clamp down and all of that. But oh, my God, podcasts are the new are the new F-bomb of the of the uh, the the censorship overlords. Um, It's absolutely it's central to their plans to stop this type of conversation from happening. And again, people should just reflect on why that is. The f- why why is it so so anathema to this system as it exists? Because I think again, public opinion is the one chink in this armor, but it's a gigantic chink. And all we have to do is is just head on in there and and use this incredible opportunity that we have. And as I say, on a fair playing field we win every single time, which is why they work so hard to rig the game against us. Well, and in an era of 3D printing, 
It's basically limitless for us. It really is. There, there's, especially in terms of building community, especially in terms, I was a carpenter for 25 years. I'm jazzed as hell about, you know, the what you can do with a 3D printer. I really am. And <clears throat> in terms of I, constructing water purification systems, which we're all going to need, you know, a several stage one is several thousand dollars. This is something that with a, a 3D printer and significantly less money, especially now that we can know we can crush plastic to make the filament for it all day. You, you can do something very, very workable and relatively on the cheap. These are, I mean, there's all kinds of steps that we can take to further secure our autonomy, further secure our liberty and do it in a way that helps build community and helps the community itself build its own autonomy and liberty. It's a matter, I truly believe, James Corbett, that everything that we need to do, we have already done. Everything that all of our solutions have already been presented to us in one way, shape or form, we can adapt them to new technology and we can improve upon them, but they're there and all we have to do is talk to one another and remember them. I could be wrong. I agree with that. I, I, I think everything that we need is essentially in our hands. It's just a question of putting it to conscious use. And it's interesting because I generally, when I'm looking at the transhumanist push and all the craziness on the technological front, it's always towards this kind of uh, ultimate total clampdown, total centralization of control in the digital IDs and everything else, really controlling us all the way down to the genomic level. But actually, so much of this technology is fundamentally about decentralization, about the fact that we do not there's not even a technological need for a middleman in our life anymore. And yeah, 3D printing, excellent example that I talked about several years ago, talking about, uh, what did I call that? I'll have to think of the title. But I, I did uh, uh, talk about the, the the transformation of the economy from the Industrial Revolution, because at that point, the technology was a centralizing force in society. Literally, people literally had to move out of the countryside into these cities to be uh, regulated to the factory production system and to regulate their lives accordingly, which is why we have the schools with the school bells and all of that to train us to be good factory workers. Well, actually, it's the 21st century. And what we can do with the the next iteration of this technology, like the 3D printing and others, is now decentralized. We now no longer need the factory production process whereby you'll take all of these material inputs from all around the world, ship them all the way to wherever, Detroit or wherever else, to make things in a factory, to then ship them out to stores so that maybe one day you'll be walking by some, some bin in some store and you'll go, oh, I need that thing. What a stupid horrible, wasteful system that is on every level. No, we can literally create and produce things in our own home for ourselves. And that technology is starting to make that more and more feasible. Uh, again, that is another gigantic lever that we have uh, against this, the centralizing tendency of the state itself. And it already, it already exists to some extent, and it's only getting better from here. Um, in terms of the technology itself. But again, it's a question of how we use it and what we let them do with it. And whether, you know, they start programming in intellectual property algorithms in the 3D printers, uh-oh, we see you're trying to print something that's uh, that's the intellectual property of the what, Nike or whatever. Uh, uh oh, you can't do that. D do we do we allow that, or do we have coders and programmers and people on our side who will be able to do things? Do we have the 
the people that can create the 3D printing gun plans and send them out to people. Oh my God, how are you going to stop guns? Gun, gun, what's gun control in a 3D printing society? Well, how's that going to work? It's not. I mean, it's not. I, I, I said it years back. It's just they're they're just meaningless laws in this in the era in which we live. They were meaningless laws 140 years ago. They're, you know, they're effectively meaningless laws at this point. It's whether or not they can be enforced. And that kind of goes back to the maintaining the belief in the state, the maintaining the belief in these institutions and whether or not individual communities are going to uh, eventually develop a relationship with their sheriff's department and work on not hiring PTSD as fuck psychos on the regular or, you know, doing things like perhaps discouraging the execution gang in your sheriff's department. It's a little, little step, baby steps that we could take along the way to help make it a better place. I don't know. It, I, I do believe that we can do it though. I certainly do. I agree. I, I believe that too. Um, I kind of want to go back to this whole banking thing because there's been, there's been, and again, you're absolutely right. Everything that's happened in the last six months would be a story of the year at any other point, but FTX and mm. uh, it looks like perhaps a, a rug pull with Binance is in the offing. The uh, Coinbase at least for a moment, they're halted processing U.S. dollar coins. They weren't giving those to banks for as while uh, while Silicon Valley Bank was going tits up. Um, it seems that the FTX shenanigans are are much more than just uh, an op to regulate crypto seem to have touched every aspect of uh, not just American politics, but a number of other countries, at least a handful of people had their dirty little fingers in that pie. Um, I, how, what, what's your view overall on this, this operation? Like we're, how many different aspects of what we're going to see going forward? Do you think this touches in terms, not just in terms of crypto, but like finance in general, um, I mean, Jesus, these people funded ivermectin studies or anti-ivermectin studies. Yeah. Crazy, yeah. crazy, crazy. In fact, speaking to the craziness of story of the year or what was that? Until you said FTX, I, I had almost completely forgotten about that. <laughs> oh, yeah, FTX. Uh, maybe I should be thinking of that in terms of SBV, right? Uh, yeah, absolute insanity. And so I have not done the deep dive personally on Sam Bankman-Fried and all the connections and what was going on there. Um, but yes, I, there certainly there is an element of crypto regulation, crypto demonization that's embedded in that story. But I do think it its tentacles go much further. Um, but let's keep it in prospect of the the, the real endgame here, which really is the I think central bank digital currency really is what we're aiming, what we <laughs> what they are aiming at here. And I I think from that perspective. All of the financial shenanigans and potential bank runs and economic collapse, I think they're aiming it at that. In a sense, again, like so many of these things, it really doesn't matter at what level the destabilization is happening, whether this is just a natural collapse of the Ponzi scheme that couldn't continue forever, right? Um, versus whether this has been deliberately engineered, um, what 
FTX's connections into this were and what, uh, you know, how they're going to come out or be covered up or strategically limited hangout or all, any combination thereof. Again, those details don't matter to the fundamental game plan, which we know they are heading towards some form of total electronic currency control and how that's implemented and what that programmable money will look like, I don't know. But given that, anything that happens to destabilize the system, well, they've already got a solution, guys, and here it is. So I, I'm kind of pointed in that direction in terms of the, the economic bank run destabilization we're seeing going on right now. I'm constantly looking for the angle of, okay, how are they going to hook this into central bank digital currency and pretend that that's the, the, the solution to the problem that they've created? Um, specifically with regards to FTX, again, I haven't done the deep dive enough to be able to talk about it in detail, but that's that's certainly a, a factor in this equation. And there's a number of countries that have already stepped forward with pilot programs for CBDCs. There's, I, I mean, the BRICS just got themselves a central bank and a central banker. And surprise, surprise, they have a CBDC plan too. And I genuinely feel like if we're not in the active state of open war, it, sometime in the next several months, it's going to be an Oceania was always at war with Eurasia situation. And we're just, mm -hmm. that's all we're going to know is that there's the West or NATO and there's mm -hmm. the BRICS countries and yeah. we all hate each other and we all want each other to, to die in a fiery pit. Yeah. And, and, it's and, it, and of course, it'll be like, yeah, them with their evil, their evil digital currency. But hey, our digital currency will be so much better than theirs. And wait, you both look exactly the same to me. What's mm. going on here? Well, their surveillance state is mm. is way less benign than our surveillance state. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's one of the fun things about reading the New York Times or whatever is reading their coverage of China and the Chinese surveillance state and everything, and then seeing how they pivot around to. But in America, it'll be so good when we <laughs> do that. It's so fun to watch that propaganda playing out in real time. The way that people are are chatting about fifteen minute cities, at least the spin like, oh, well, this is just how neighborhoods have always been. I mean, yeah, you know, there's a number of people who probably know somebody's grandmother or aunt who like never left their neighborhood in Brooklyn and that kind of thing. And you eventually get them around to, OK, but no one was keeping Nana on a digital leash that no one was telling, you know, Aunt Francine that her Facebook post made it so that she doesn't get heat this week. Like, can we acknowledge that there are some significant differences and that these are, in fact, if not totalitarian, at least really nefarious, not all that great. Uh, and I, I have noticed that there's been a little shift in the conversation as far as that goes. But, man, they are already rolling them out. In the UK, we were looking in Canada, there's over 50 separate cities that have applied for grants for 15-minute cities or 20-minute cities. They're coming to Ireland. Um, in talking to people, are there some creative ways that we can sidestep, subvert, or otherwise prevent these things from happening in, in our communities? 
yes, one is to simply get involved in the process by which this is happening. And I think a lot of people uh, do not understand. Look, as people may or may not know, I am definitely not a status. I do not play the stupid status games and win the stupid status prizes. I couldn't care less which puppet of the establishment gets voted in as president or prime minister. But um, at the very least, I think people don't understand that because uh, obviously the big sideshow distraction is the once every four years big button push lever pull for this or that phony political candidate, they don't understand so much of the real work of the institution of the infrastructure for what's happening right now is being done at the local level in these local community meetings that people, eh, I might've seen some notice about it, who cares, whatever. I, I wanna concentrate on the big, the big four, once every four year event. Um, and so they don't understand these meetings are happening all the time, that the city councils are signing up independently to Global Strong Cities Initiative and other such things that are essentially signing over sovereignty of every single the individual municipality into this big UN Agenda 2030 push that's happening all over the planet. And 15 Minute Cities is a part of that. And it's, again, this isn't some sort of thing that's happening at the national level and being imposed down. No, no, no. It's cities that are starting them themselves. Um, and this is being done through uh, such tactics as I talked about recently on questions for Corbett, the Delphi technique or the Delphi method. Um, initially developed by Rand back in the 1950s, it was an idea for uh, coming up with more reliable forecasts for the future. You don't just ask one or two experts about what they think is going to happen. And you don't just ask a bunch of them, get a bunch of them together and ask them all together what they think is going to happen. You individually survey different experts and you take in their, their, uh, their results of that survey without letting them know each other so they won't influence each other. And then you sort of find what the consensus forecast is and that'll be more reliable blah 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 over the half more than half century now of uh refinement of that idea it has become a technique for shaping consensus into whatever you want it to be and what they do and what has been done for decades now at the local community level is they'll have these stakeholder meetings and city council meetings and other sorts of things where the 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 guides will come in to guide a conversation we want your feedback please tell us, we've got this idea for this 15 minute city and let's talk about this. Okay, so um, should we implement the 15 minute city this way or should we implement it that way? And you guys talk about it and we'll, we'll, we'll come to some decision. And you might, if you step back for a second, you might think, hey, wait, I don't want the 15 minute city. Where's that option? Oh, wait, no, that, that, that lever doesn't exist. So that's one of the techniques that they use. So I talked about that recently. Uh, I cited a 2000, 12 interview that I had with Rosa Corey back in the day, who was writing about uh, the behind the green mask and talking about mm -hmm. the Delphi technique and how it was being used to implement at that time, agenda 21 in city after city. But the same sorts of things are happening with 15 minute cities and others. And there are anti Delphi techniques that can be employed at the very least at those types of meetings where you have the guides that come in and guide the conversation towards the predetermined consensus that Rosa Corey writes about in her book. So people should check that out and maybe start paying attention to some of these local city council kind of meetings that uh, who knows, if a number of people get involved at the local level, they can have a significant effect on shaping whether or not this doesn't happen, does or doesn't happen. Um, so I, I think that's a big lever that people are neglecting because, hey, look, the sideshow distraction is coming. Oh my God, who is gonna run in 2024? 
Who cares? Get with reality. Get with what is happening on the ground in your own local level that is going to affect the place where you are living. No, I, I, I couldn't agree with that more. And everybody who's watching knows how I feel about you know, organized government and the state and all that kind of stuff. Um, but if you are going to make an impact, that's where you can. And it's there, at least in my experience, if you can find the two biggest corporate interests that are legitimately running that area, then if you have a, a, a targeted campaign against them, you have at least some leverage in getting anti-candidates into some pretty critical spots. Um, the, uh, Humboldt County up in Northern California, at least until they went COVID crazy, but for a long time, their city council was one of those places where you could do that relatively well. And they managed to keep a number of major corporations out. They managed to keep, uh, uh, you know, uh, everything, but the sheriff's gangs and their buddies in organized crime. Uh, out of the national parks. Um, so it can be done. It, it can be. I I don't know what, how far that gets you in the cities that are already basically mega cities just yeah. waiting to happen. Yeah. You know, but, yeah. uh, but anything you can do to take back uh, a measure of right. local control is always encouraged. Maybe that's a sign that people who are living in the mega cities, maybe you should reconsider that. And as we've been talking about, it's easier now than it was before to move out of the megacities. Why are you living in a megacity? What what does it provide you that you can't get elsewhere? Is there no other way to find employment other than to be in some centralized location? Uh, it's post-COVID, everybody. We're in a new world. Telework and all that, right? So at the very right. least, if, if people do find themselves in one of those megacity, megalopolis prison nightmares, why? Is there no right. way you can structure your life to get out of that? Yeah. No, I, I, I can't tell you. I really can't tell you. I don't even know if I've told uh, or talked about this to the audience yet, but I really can't tell you how nice it is to wake up in Las Vegas every day knowing that I have an out date and knowing that, that it's like fixed, you know, and that where I'm going after that is where I want to be, where I should be to do all of the kinds of things that I want to do off grid and outside of the system. So it's, you know, that's, that's comforting. And there's contingency plans on K. If I had to go right now, I could, you know, it'd suck, it'd be a little rough, but I could do it. Uh, but I, it is just so in that regard. Yeah. But I would encourage uh, people who have the opportunity to seek avenues of, of, uh, I guess, exfiltration. <laughs> <laughs> from your major city, look into that as soon as humanly possible. And if you're in a somewhat rural area, you've already, you know, chances are there are people around you who are local ranchers. There are people who produce, uh, you know, poultry, who do produce vegetables, produce fruit, all that kind of stuff. We had Texas Slim on a number of times. He will tell you, go shake a rancher's hand, go do that. And, you know, and, and at least change the way you eat, because I think a big prob part of the problem, too, is that you've got so much of the planet that's just enslaved to horrible food and convinced that they don't have too many options outside of it. Yeah, yeah, it's all part of the, the way that we structure our lives and what we think is possible. I, I think that's part of what we're underlining in this conversation right now is that people, I think, people who tend to be completely 
pessimistic uh, on every front are the people who don't appreciate the possibilities that already exist. It's not that we have to recreate the wheel and start some sort of bold new society from ground up. It's just that we have to take advantage of the things that already exist and put them to conscious use in ways that will help improve our lives. And yeah, it's certainly not gonna de decimate the new world order overnight and there you go, game over guys. And now we can live happily forever after, of course not. But it, at the very least, there are things that we can be doing right now to take steps towards sovereignty. And uh, if you're not doing that, I, I guess the question is why? Right, right. Because there is a, there, there does seem to be like a sell-by date on this moment in time as we're experiencing it, where we still have, you know, some relative freedoms on the internet, where we still have the ability yeah, to have exactly. these conversations. Yeah. We can talk about solutions. We do have technology that we can use to our benefit to do what we've been talking about, which is increase your autonomy and liberty. So I, there, this is a, a relatively unique window where we can take on the things that we've understood. And I think a lot of that, revolves around um just stop stopping to cling to the fact that there's an ism out there that's going to save you yeah because mm -hmm. it's 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 just not uh and, and that you know our, our our collective strength as it were it lies in our ability to be our own hero and save ourselves uh, and i think if we can focus on that a little bit more push out a lot of the distractions we'll be a lot better off um, I, I'm gonna. I'm, maybe I'm gonna steal that phrase from you. Our collective strength lies in our individualism. <laughs> okay, that'll make everyone's yeah. heads explode, which I, I enjoy. <laughs> Feel free to please do. Um, it's something that we usually do on the morning show, but I don't know. Uh, given the time difference, I'm gonna have the opportunity to. There have been a number of studies that that have linked music to people's ability to recover memories or drug draw back memories from a previous moment of time. Uh, especially in terms of dementia patients. And let's say, God forbid, James Corbett, you get a case of the Joe Bidens. All right. You're you're in the old podcaster's home. Mm. And, and what's a song or two that would be on your dementia memory recall playlist? You know, that's an interesting question. That's an interesting way to phrase the question because I'm not interpreting that as just songs that I like, but songs that have like some sort of memory, some sort of meaning in terms yeah, of the, the, well, my that life. you know right? would snap you right yeah. back into a particular moment of time, which would then access the the memories at least from that era. Okay, I gotta I gotta look it up to make sure I've got the track name right. Um, but uh, I want to say it was. Let me just check this. Hold on. Yes, 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 yes. Okay, so picture it. 2006-7, as young James Corbett is sitting there on his beat-up old laptop, starting the research that's going to lead him down towards the path of starting the Corbett Report. And uh, there... Uh, as I was doing this and starting to get into the flow of, okay, I'm going to start doing podcasting and I'm going to, okay, every day I'm waking up and learning new things and starting down this path. And every day, the song at that time that was really energized me to get going and to start doing this. And I really felt something from, it was uh, a track by Paris called, What Would You Do? And I haven't listened to it in like uh, over a decade. Uh, but I remember at that time, that was the song that got me pumped up and like, okay, I'm going to go do it. So I I actually want to preserve that. So I'm not going to over listen to it. But I bet you 
if I was, if I did get that case of the Bidens and I was sitting there in the old folks home and I heard that song, it would put me back in that, in that moment, in that state of mind of not just because obviously when you start going down the rabbit hole and oh my God, everything is a lie and it's all terrible. It can be very traumatic and be overwhelming, but there's an incredible sense of opportunity that is what I felt and took out of that. And like, okay, I can do this. I'm going to start changing things. I'm going to start putting my voice out there. I'm going to do something about this. And this was the song that got me motivated to do that. So I guess that would be the first one that comes to mind. Heck yeah. That's awesome. That's a great. That's a great. And so it's, I, I love playing this game because you have absolutely no idea who's going to, you know, and how people are going to answer. And sometimes you get stock answers like, oh, we'll balk, you know, and, and like what people think they're supposed to say or what. And so I, I really do. I enjoy it. Um, you have a heart out in about 10 minutes or a little bit less, seven minutes. I don't want to want to keep you over time and i i do know that i'm keeping a lot of the rest of the class from rich's show too i'm gonna keep you out of the 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 in the evening experience because i'll be headed over there too um we've died i love this because we've been able to talk about a lot of solutions i i don't want to end on a downer <laughs> really don't but holy crap we've talked about war a little bit throughout mm. the the last mm. hour or so it really does look like there's going to be a significant shift from ukraine to taiwan and china oh, yeah. uh north yeah. korea is starting to saber rattle a little bit again yeah a and um it it seems as if or at least there's been a little bit of uh resurgence of talk about a draft i i have a buddy named danny Sherson. And he was a major in the army. He taught at West Point. He was a cavalry commander in Iraq and Afghanistan. And, uh, and he is also a veteran for peace and a couple other projects uh, outside of service now. And uh, he said that the all volunteer army uh, as implemented by Nixon and carried forward since is one of the biggest detriments to the anti-war movement that they could have possibly put forward because it removed the skin in the game that the average American has in it. And it makes it so you can fetishize soldiers, you can absolve yourself of guilt, and then at the same time, you can turn on those soldiers and say, well, you knew what you signed up for. Uh, so if we're going to talk about draft, like what do you see an actual benefit in them trying to go forward and implement it, at least in that aspect? Uh, no, uh, specifically for the reasons that you cite there, it doesn't seem to be strategically the right move. Um, and it's also perplexing because certainly we're moving away from the traditional cons battlefield concept of manpower. And it's going to be some big army that they're going to field in some big battlefield somewhere. And they're going to fight each other. That, that isn't what warfare looks like in the 21st century. Is it major superpower warfare? What does that look like? Well, I'm pretty sure it wouldn't involve that. And it's not necessarily going to be decided simply by having more boots on the ground. So as you say, I'm not sure draft or conscription would be the 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 way forward for that um I, basically when i when i think about warfare major superpower warfare in the 21st century i always put myself back in the mindset of world war one looked 
absolutely nothing like warfare before it. It was a completely different ball game, as it were. And all the military strategists and all their plans and all their stratagems and ideas completely went out the window after that war really started to get entrenched, literally entrenched in the ground there. Um, mm -hmm. Totally changed the game. World War II, completely different game again. Um, with the Blitzkrieg and uh, all of the, the technological advancements that completely changed the nature of warfare and what it was and civilian populations becoming more and more the targets and all of that. What will World War III look like? All I know is I don't know. And I don't think most people know. Um, and that also brings in the question of what technological advancements does you know the DOD have under their belt that they haven't quite been letting on about and, and other major powers and all of that. So I, I certainly don't think this is going to be anything like warfare that we've seen before, and it won't be big armies lining up on battlefields. Um, but unfortunately, as I've said many times, I think the real World War III is already underway, and it is a war against us, and it is a war by our own, our own governments against us, um, wherever you are in the world, because every single power structure in the world Essentially, it's raison d'etre is to get more and more power over people. And the way that they do that is centralizing control and waging war on their own citizens, psychological war, information war, economic war, biological war, whatever works in order to get more control. So I, I think we at our level, our main task is to maintain our intellectual sovereignty and our intellectual understanding that Whatever they, whatever game they're playing with, whatever shadows on the cave wall of, oh my God, China, Russia, North Korea, whoever the boogeyman of the week is, that's not really what this game is about. And those, sure, I'm not for in favor of any of these governments anywhere around the world, but that doesn't mean that the people who are telling you to, oh, go over there now and shoot those people, doesn't mean that those are good people. And we have to maintain that because it's easy, perhaps it's easy at this stage getting harder and harder to do so but it's still easy to say you know i'm well i don't know i i don't what do i care about the chinese or the russians I, I, it doesn't matter to me but at some point it will be the world war one scenario the the white feather society or whatever it is they'll oh you're a coward and you're not on team you're not on team america what are you and it will become harder and harder and harder to operate um from that stance of hey I, this ain't my battle it, it will become your battle um, but we have to understand where the battle lines are and who we are really up against. And it's not the, the they, them, those boogeyman over there. It's the ones that are pretending to rule over us at home. And uh, we have to keep that in mind at all times. I couldn't agree more. I have a very clear memory of being 17 years old and being hounded by military recruiters because I was dumb enough to take the ASVAB test. And finally, I talked to one and I was like, yeah, I'm just not into it. And I, I don't like authority. We don't get along well. And you're going to have to deal with authority the rest of your life. And I go, buddy, if any of my bosses tell me to shoot somebody just because I can quit, you know, I, I don't, I don't know what to tell you. Um, James Corbett, Jesus, man, thank you for, for taking some time out of your day to have a chat. Um, would love to do this again. And if people have been, you know, somehow living under a rock or somehow got to somehow got to this show before, you please let people know where they can find you and all the projects you're involved in. And I, I can't thank you enough for focusing on solutions as much as you do. We need that uh, as often as possible.
No problem. Thank you for having me on. Uh, if people are not aware, they can reach me at CorbettReport.com. That's C-O-R-B-E-T-T report.com. Thousands and thousands and thousands of hours of audio visual material, as well as articles in the archives for your free viewing and listening pleasure. It is a resource. Make use of it. The most important thing that I do is to cite my sources and to always have references and show notes and links so that people can read things for themselves. Don't take my word for it. Don't take anyone's word for it. Read it for yourself. Come to your own conclusions. On that note, I got to get going. All right. Well, thank you so much. Uh, and we'll see you soon. I appreciate it. All right. Your time. Take care. Thank take you. Take care. And that's, uh, that's going to do it over here, too. I got a bunch of stuff I got to get to. Um, yeah, it was that, that took longer than it should have. And I'm glad it got to happen. Um, see what's going on over here. There are at uh, Super Rare, too. Appreciate you guys for that let's see media bear onward and upward hey media bear um if and when or not if and when but when you get that the the whole song thing figured out please do hit me up on that we got something cooking you guys reed hendrick appreciate you keep on keeping on steve big fan of the work uh you and corbs do absolutely thank you very much reed tallulah may Thank you for doing this live. Dale, appreciate you. I'm tipping to see if it crashes my bank. Awesome. Mobzilla, what a wonderful treat. Sunday interview with James Corbett. Patrick Henningsen reports of a planned emergency package to ensure confidence in the banking sector, a.k.a. bailout to all banks. What's another trillion when you just print more and devaluate everyone's savings each time? That's true. That's very, very true. Um, well, shit, you guys rock. Uh, let's all, let's all go say hi to Rich now and company and, and, uh, bright and early tomorrow morning and wake up. Nicole Saratech's going to be hanging out Tuesday, T-Live Tuesday, uh, with Graham from Grimerica. Uh, I can't remember who else is on in the middle of the week, but Friday midnight Mike is coming back through for a special St. Patrick's Day uh am wake up and uh we will everyone but me will get smashed on baileys and car bombs before noon i know it's probably not gonna happen but boy it'd be fun um for you know i guess for me because i would be watching it not drinking um and that would be hilarious because i've been smashed on car bombs and boy is it hectic at any rate you guys are freaking awesome uh, it's a value for value show. If you're in a position to contribute to independent media, there's links in the description, all that kind of good stuff. Um, merch store for AM Wake Up and Slow News Day over at truthclothing.io for the Slow News Day stuff. Um, you think just shirts, stickers too. Yeah. Uh, need to sort of re reassess all of that. Um, yeah, I think it's about it. You guys are freaking awesome. We'll we'll see you soon. Good luck to us all. <laughs>